On today's episode of the Playgrounder Podcast, me and Matt have some Shark Tank pitches for y'all. We have them for each other. We have them for, for everyone to listen to and to see if we can convince everyone on why each eighth seed can win their series. Both of them are tied at 1-1, so we bring you those. Then we go to Dante Toro. We're talking Boston Celtics. We're talking food. We uh, we make a little wager at the end, so you'll want to stay tuned to that. And then lastly, with the draft lottery being on last night, we bring on Derek Murray of Babcock Hoops. He's uh, a very, very knowledgeable guy when it comes to the draft and, and the prospects. So you'll want to listen to that, and you'll gain a lot of knowledge, as me and Matt definitely did. Uh and theplaygrounder.com, we got content coming out, the yin-yang everywhere. So we got lots of stuff there, at Playgrounder NBA on Twitter, at the Playgrounder on Instagram. We got content going everywhere. Uh, hit me up at ZachWilson50. Hit Matt up at Matt Esposito underscore. And stay tuned. This is a, this is a really good episode. Definitely one of my favorites. So uh, let's uh, get it. Plug it in, and then it keeps it's like, dead. It, well, no, it's like accessory not supported, accessory not supported. Oh, charging again, accessory not supported. I also am recording right now, by the way. Yeah. Dude, you know what? You're, uh, you know what? I, I have a great analogy for the phone that dies. Um, Is this going to be a stupid segue? Oh, I knew it was going to be a stupid <laughs> dude, segue. Dude, it kind of reminds me of Joel Embiid. Like, he came out. Guns blazing against the Celtics, and I was like, my Celtics are going to die. My Celtics are dead, right? Like, clinically deceased. And then, like, you know, just the same way – like, I have a – what is it, 5S? I have a 5S. My battery is, um, you know, basura for all our Spanish-speaking friends out there. Is that a good um, thing? That means trash. Okay. <laughs> that means trash. I have no okay? idea. You, you Canadian meatball. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> I'm coming out firing. <laughs> that made but, no sense either. It makes a ton of sense. So, yeah. Anyways, so you have this shiny iPhone. You're like, wow, this is great. I can do so many things with it. Um, battery dies away after a strong performance at first, kind of like Joel Embiid. Um, how much do you love that take? You love it a lot, right? That's a great analogy. Agree you know, with me. You know what I like even more that reminds me of a battery that dies is every clipper aside from Kawhi Leonard. Oh, my God. Gosh, that team makes me so mad. And typically, okay, being a Raptors fan, I would be I would be pretty amped that the Clippers are losing and Paul George looks like trash. Like, yeah, Kawhi, you left us for that. But I have money on this series, and I still do think the Clippers will pull it out. I think they're the better team. But, man, like, yeah. Lou Will played all right in game two, but literally anyone outside of Kawhi, like, they, uh, they, uh, yeah. And Luka looks really good. I think um, I was wrong in assuming that, the uh, Clippers were just going to throw the house at him. I still think they could shut him down, and they should, because they just need to put Kawhi on him and literally trap him at any point. But honestly, the, the Mavericks, aside from Luka, even like guys like Trey Berg, they're looking they're looking good as well. Yeah, okay, so what what in the world has happened to Landry Shamit? <laughs> I saw like, Where's he been? <laughs> Yo, I mean, uh, I don't know if you'll get this, because do you guys have Donaires out there? Uh, did you just say, like, donuts and with a funny accent? <laughs> yeah, it's uh. Do you know what shawarma is? What? Oh my is gosh! This, what do you do? You know what a I, euro is? is? Like a... Yes. Okay, so I'm. Oh wait, 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 wait! Like a like a kebab. 
Like a doner kebab. Like, it's a kebab, but it's inside, like, a pita and that kind of stuff kind of thing. But it's more, like, shaved, like, slices of meat. It's traditional Turkish food, also Mediterranean food in general, at large. Yeah, so basically a, a, um, a doner poutine. Do you know what poutine is? Sure. Do you know what that I, is? I do. Okay. This I is like so. a this is a nice little lesson for all the Americans listening, and everyone I'm that's feeling, Canadian will understand this. So I'm feeling culture. Um, essentially, a doner poutine is when you get like the shaved like meat on top of an actual poutine, and then they put some like sweet sauce on top. And poutine, for those mm-hmm. who don't know, is like fries, gravy, and cheese curds. And mm-hmm. basically, everyone who like runs those shops look like looks like Landry Shamit and like they work there so then someone just in a group chat said Landry Shamit looks like he can make a mean doner poutine but uh I'm I'm dying <laughs> oh my gosh um and it would be even funnier if you went to like one of those shops where I where I live or one of those restaurants where I live and you saw everyone that worked there cuz Landry Shamit would fit in perfectly other than the fact that he's like what like 6'5 or something is he that big yeah you know what let me He's six five, dude. You wanna know how I know this? So my I'm gonna pat myself on the back right now because I did a I did like a like a scouting review for his draft class. I think I had Sham at like twentieth overall and I couldn't understand why people didn't like him. Like he was like in the fifties for other like, you know, really strong scouting databases. And then like he comes out in Philadelphia, crushes it. The Clippers trade for him. Like this this is fantastic. Like, you know, he's on the Clippers now. Doc Rivers is gonna utilize him really, really well. And like I feel like he hasn't really made an impact. Like where like I don't know what what's happened. Yeah, I you don't know? know. I yeah I think it's kind of been the majority of this season that he really hasn't been playing that well. And I think it also could just be due to the fact that that's where their strongest at is at like the guard wing type spot. So he's not sure. being able to get in rhythm between Kawhi and PG and Lou Will. And then you have Bev and now Reggie Jackson. So he's kind of just like hidden behind all those guys. And I guess sometimes it's just hard to get in rhythm when you're not playing. This, So I'm going to say that outside of, you know, obviously I'm rooting for the Celtics. So I'm a Celtics homer. So like outside of that series, I want to say Clippers Mavs is tied for me with Portland Lakers as like the series that I'm most watching and most interested in, which kind of sucks because like I'm an East Coast guy and they're a little later, but it is what it is. Um, dude, what do you think is going to happen with this series? The uh, Clippers Mavs series? Yeah. Uh, it's really hard because I still think it could be extremely logical just to say the Clippers could win in five because they are the better team. They just haven't played like it at all. And right. initially when I picked Clippers in five or I picked Clippers in four, it wasn't any sort of disrespect to Dallas. I thought each individual game was going to be good and Luka was going to play well. I just thought that the Clippers were the more experienced team and they were the better team that they were going to come out of t- out out top or on top of those close matchups. So I like I I don't know where to go with this and they're not like I I guess they don't want to tire Kawhi out round one, which is why they're not just throwing him on Luca every single possession, which it makes sense. But it seems like it really may have to get to that point. And as much as other guys on the Mavericks are playing well, like Tim Hardaway's playing well, Burke, I mean Porzingis is playing really well. I think you just need to throw Paul George and Kawhi on Porzingis and Luka and just get this team done with because I don't care if it's a first-round series versus the seventh seed. The West is tough. A seventh seed is not a seventh seed, just like Portland's not an eighth seed. Agreed. Um, okay, so I actually I like that Paul George take because, like, if, you know, you can actually throw him on Luka, in my opinion. I mean, I'm sorry, on, on Porzingis, in my opinion, because I don't think Porzingis really operates out of the post too, too much. No, he's um, garbage in the post. Yeah, and like they they literally run him around like a guard, so it makes sense to put PG on him. Um, 
I have I have two kind of takes here for for Clips Maps before we move on. So, um, the first one, did you hear Bill Simmons uh, the other day? Because this is what he said. He said that um, the scoop he got was that the NBA is looking to kind of cut down their schedule to have yeah. less time in between games so that, you know, cause I guess players are getting like a little stir crazy and they miss their families rightfully. So, um, this could actually be kind of an interesting subplot to Kawhi because we know that Kawhi, um, is someone who, who legitimately needs his rest, right? Like for his, for some of the health concerns that he wants to take care of. So that's something to monitor. Um, secondly, my other takeaway is I wouldn't be surprised if the Clippers won like three straight because in, in my opinion, this is what they did all year. Like they had this, they have moments where they look like the best team in the league. And then I feel like every fifth or sixth game, they just look like in a funk. Like they, they look like they're not bringing it. And maybe that was just like, like, could it be that that was the game that we saw in game two versus the Mavs? Yeah. And on top of that, I mean, they just haven't been together in this whole bubble. Like Lou will went and got some wings and then had to quarantine. Uh, Montrez Harrell missed the majority of it up until, or all of it up until the playoffs. Uh, I think he was actually missing for some really serious reasons. So that, uh, that sucks. And then Bev's been in and out and mm. I just, yeah, I don't like, they really haven't played together and they didn't even play together game two. Cause Patrick Beverly was out. I don't, do you know how long he's out for? I have, I don't know, but I know Reggie Jackson was in and I know that they don't want to do that. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't want to do that. And I like, yeah. So like I said, as a Raptors fan, I'm not mad at Kawhi for leaving. Like, I still root for him, but I still want the Clippers to absolutely tre tremble and fail. But I have money on this series with a friend, so I still need the Clippers to win here, and then they can they can get their blows their doors blown off by Denver, which I actually don't think will happen. I think I think they might have an easier second round than first round. So, can I tell you about a tweet I didn't send? Yeah, tell me about your draft. And okay, so it's it's about Lou Williams. Now, Lou Williams is kind of infamous or famous, depending on how you look at it, for having two girlfriends at the same time, correct? Yeah. What is um what is the phrase that is on the back of Lou Williams' jersey? Do you know? I actually don't. Is it how many more? A, I think it's <laughs> equality. Ah, oh, how many more would have been so good? <laughs> it would have been good. And like, listen, we are not making light of the BLM protest. Um, but I, I really wanted to make, I feel like there's a joke in there about him having a quality on his Jersey. And then like the joke would be like from the perspective of his two girlfriends, you know what I mean? Like, like who gets the most time with Lou will who gets maybe the most financial benefits. I decided not to send it. I thought it would be in poor taste, but, um, I just wanted to share my thought process here. Um, and, and, you know, get to get your reaction. Um, yeah, I guess so. I guess it'll be interesting to see who he invites to the bubble. Ooh, yeah. Speaking of family, did you like you saw what the Raptors did eh, with their player intros? And I know the Suns did it before yeah. that, so I that's pretty cool. I think every team should just do that. Like, that don't be cool. don't be ashamed of stealing the idea. Okay, like Toronto already was the first team to steal it. Phoenix was the first team to do it. I think every every player would appreciate it, and every fan from every team just loves seeing like the joy on those guys' faces when they see their families up there on the video board introducing them. Yeah, and I, and I guess, like, the Heat have a, a room where all their players hang out, and, like, the wallpaper on the room is just pictures of everyone's family, so, like, it feels like a very at-home kind of vibe, so mm. there's a lot of stuff going on, a lot of good stuff going on in the NBA. Yeah. Um, Zach, what's next on the docket, man? What's what's next on the agenda? 
Uh, we got a pretty big news in five, and it's extra big because we didn't do one last episode, and I also didn't do one. My episode was Sean Hyken. Uh, mm. So let's go. Let's jump into news in five. Get your timer ready. This is going to be a speed round. We got to go. Okay, hold on. Okay, stopwatch. Here we go. Um, are you ready? I'm ready. I'm going to start when you start talking. All right, you ready? Three, two, one. Jim Boylan canned. Any surprise here? No surprise here. Um, smell you later, meat. We, uh, you know what? I'm just gonna I'm gonna start calling him Lawler. He's just Lawler now. He's a great writer for a website. I'm plugging his piece about Jim Boylan. Uh, quick potential candidates to replace him. Do you have any in mind? I mean, I feel like Kenny Atkinson is the best coach available. But then again, I don't follow the assistant coaches market enough to know what assistant coaches next in line for a head coach position. So I'm just gonna say Kenny Atkinson. I love Kenny Atkinson. Um. I think he's he's incredible for player development, and that would be perfect for them. Next up, what do we got? Uh, Alvin Gentry, another coach that got fired. Uh, this is a coach that definitely didn't do a horrible job, but I think New Orleans just wants to modernize their offense. Alvin Gentry had Zion playing out of the post a lot, which that's not what you mm -hmm. want out of Zion. So I don't know if you have any opinions on this one. You know, I, th I think you put it perfectly. Hey, guess what? Another good, can <laughs> good coaching candidate for this position? Kenny Atkinson. Or Mike D'Antoni. Oh, I heard that. That <laughs> I don't. You know what? Very quickly, back to Chicago. If Brett Brown gets canned, listen, I don't think Brett Brown's an amazing coach, but I don't think he sucks. And I also think that Philadelphia's front office, like their executives, kind of really screwed that team. I'd love to see what Brett Brown can do with the new, exciting front office in Chicago. Just a thought. What do we got next? Uh, a couple extensions. Brad Stevens got extended. Uh, that's a that's a pretty simple one. I don't think there's much to say about that. He deserves it. No. And then Nate McMillan got the extension. And the whole time leading up to the extension, all we heard was, he's gone. He's gone. He's on the hot seat. So uh, this came as a bit of a surprise. You know what's interesting is like I wish we could pull the we could follow the threads back on this one, right? Like who leaked that? I don't know. I just all of a sudden heard like Zach Lowe talking about it, and then. I, Maybe Brian Windhorst talking about it. like some legitimate guys in NBA circles. So I don't know where it kind of came from, but they also did say that when you talk to people inside the Indiana organization, that Nate McMillan is safe and he's staying. So I don't know where else they would have heard stuff from that. They trusted that much. You know, so this leads me to believe like maybe it was leaked by some agents of players who Probably. might be looking for a new coach. I don't know. Oh. Um, Either way, man, Pacers just should have waited. They should have waited until the series was completed to, to like reassess. It just it didn't make much sense to me at all. Yeah, the timing was odd. Um, Vladi Divac and Peja Stojakovic have stepped down, and Joe Dumars is taking over. I mean, they they just haven't had much success in Sacramento, so this kind of makes sense. And it, I, I, I believe the story was told that they met with Vladi and they told him that he's not going to have 100% control anymore, and he said that, well, if I don't have that, I don't want anything. So he he dipped, and I don't know if that's factual, but I heard it. So it's factual to me. Yeah, I mean, I understand it. I think with Sacramento, Sacramento's done some good things, like Jaron Fox was a good draft pick. Um, acquiring Buddy Hield was was good for them, and they have some like decent role players, and they've actually found some like late-round or undrafted guys, but uh, probably the right move for them. And Joe Dubars, he's obviously had success before so we'll see what happens because he's only like interim but who knows uh, a couple players have left the bubble joe harris for a non-medical matter so we just hope everything's all right with him and his family because it obviously is a serious issue if he's leaving and then gordon hayward i don't think he's left but he's out four weeks uh so that could potentially take him out for the toronto series most likely freaking sucks that's just that's a, just 
Terrible luck. It's a tough. It's a really tough break as the guys dealt with a lot of injuries. Uh, we're almost done here. The Delete Eight bubble looks like it's happening, or mul- multiple bubbles. I don't know what they're doing with it, but it looks like something is going to happen. Yeah, I don't get this, but I like it. Right. I feel like yeah, you could just start practicing at your facilities now as long as you stay like safe and within your own team bubble. I don't. I don't know. Uh, free agency. It could be pushed back a couple weeks from mid October. I guess I don't know how this plays that big of a role if free agency starts later but it it just it it does i guess well i'm sure there's people that are smarter than us that can like figure out like the impact this has on the cap or you know something in some contract somewhere so let's just wait for the smarter people to be smarter than us and there's a lot of people smarter than us and lastly lastly on the news the body cam footage of masai ujiri's altercation with the cop got released and it showed that Essentially, Masai walked up, he looked like he was pulling his, his credentials out of his jacket, and then the cop shoved him, and then Masai said, I'm the president of the Raptors, and the cop just shoved him again, and for those of you who weren't following, the cop basically said that Masai pushed him first, and he even, like, that part doesn't piss me off the most, what makes me the most angry is the extent the cop went, like, he literally said Masai pushed him so hard that he broke his ribs, and, I mean, we saw in the, in the videos, Masai literally did nothing. Zach, I'm going to ask you um, uh, one one question here. Does this happen to Masai if Masai is a white male? Well, Leo Rodens, he's an announcer for the Raptors, and he said that he walked onto the court past the security, literally not even having to show anything, and he's a white male. So, I There's mean, your it, answer, folks. it's potential, definitely. Um, wouldn't surprise me, but yeah, and I, I, like a guy who's not even technically a part of the team um, goes in. And it's also like... I mean, clearly that cop doesn't watch basketball because, I mean, you wouldn't know majority of GMs by looking at them, but Masai is mm-hmm. one of the GMs that you know by his face. And he, he has enough clout to where, like, if you were to be like, hey, my name is Masai, like, you would know. Yeah. Like it's just it's it's a it's a name that like I think even some like a lot of casual fans are familiar with. Yeah, and I mean just yeah, I mean it it was it kind of sucks because it was the opportunity of like it was just the time of Masai's life. He literally just won the championship. He's gonna go on the court to celebrate, and then he had to go through all that. And then of course, I mean we saw in the video Lowry went and grabbed him and pulled him onto the court. So uh, it's good that Masai's getting his justice because he didn't do anything, and it was pretty crazy how that body cam footage just mysteriously disappeared after when everything was going down at the start so i'm glad that that all came out it is a crime in itself that it took that long to get that body cam footage out for sure um hey man why don't we uh why don't we move on to some shark tank pitches for uh nice for those of you who don't who know what shark tank is you'll be you'll be well familiar with it me and Matt have planned pitches for each other and for you guys listening on why each eighth seed will win their series. So we obviously just saw the game twos, both one seeds won, but the series is one one. It's even. So um that'll be uh that'll be really interesting. And yeah, so I did Orlando, Matt did Portland, and we don't know anything about each other's pitches at all. And we're basically just gonna try to convince each other why they should buy stock in the eighth seed. So uh do you want me to go first or do you want to go first? Zach, I'm going to let you go first on this one. Okay. So I did the Orlando Magic, just for the people to know. All right. Hello, Sharks. Matt, how are we, uh, how are we doing today? I hope we're doing well. Uh, I'm here to pitch to you why the Orlando Magic can beat the Milwaukee Bucks. So I think I just want to first start off with just some general stats is that 
Orlando has had a better offense than the Bucks for the entirety of the bubble. Like, not just the playoffs, but the entirety of the bubble. Uh, heading into game two, Orlando's offensive rating was 112 and Milwaukee's was 107. Uh, so, I mean, that right there shows you how much better Orlando's been offensively. And that's without Jonathan Isaac. That's without Aaron Gordon. That's without Michael Carter-Williams. And Michael Carter-Williams and Aaron Gordon might even come back this series. So that could make the the magic even better. And secondly, the biggest thing to this is Nick Nurse showed the world how to beat the Bucks. He showed them how to defend Giannis. It's that you build a wall. And the one thing you need to build the wall is length and size. And the one thing we know Orlando has is length and size. And we've seen them. They literally send three bodies at Giannis anytime he enters the paint and anytime he drives. And it's it's working. And his teammates aren't showing up. Middleton, who was an all-star, not playing like an all-star at all. Bledsoe, who a lot of people said should have been an all-star, definitely shouldn't have been a playoff all-star here. And they're missing Malcolm Brogdon. Malcolm Brogdon last year was the only guy, aside from Giannis, who could craft his way to the net and create offense and draw defense. And I actually have some stats to back it up. Middleton this year only shoots 40% from the field off isolation and averages 2.4 points per 10 possessions. And he only shoots 46% from the field as a pick-and-roll ball handler, and that's only 4.6 points per uh, per 10 possessions, which, I mean, Middleton is a catch-and-shoot guy. And he works perfectly beside Giannis. But when he has to start creating stuff for himself and creating stuff for his team, he can't do it. We've seen Bledsoe falter out in the playoffs time and time again. And not to mention the Bucks' defense on the other side, they haven't been good. Like, I mean, Giannis's defensive rating on his own is up 10 points from the regular season to what's happened in the bubble. And we saw yesterday the Bucks won by 15, but that was not a 15-point win. Orlando shot seven for 33 from three. That's 21%. If they just shoot 12 for 33, which that makes up the 15 points, that's only 36% from three. And that's just average. Like they only had to shoot average from three to be right there with the Bucks. The Bucks didn't really close them out. They didn't really extend the lead to the point where it was unreachable to the last few minutes. Like Orlando was right in it till the end. And I think Brooke Lopez can't guard Vucevic because in their drop scheme, Vucevic can just pick and pop and shoot them to death. And then Brooke Lopez can't guard him one-on-one. Vucevic has had like 30 points in both games. So that's basically my pitch. It's a, uh, it's a lot to take in. I had to, I tried to speed through it, but yeah, I, uh, I truly believe Orlando can give Milwaukee troubles. Okay. Here's, here's what I got for you. My first question is, isn't, didn't we see this happen with Orlando last year? Is isn't can't you make a case that they just came hot out of the gate and then the other teams adapted? Uh, well, game one versus Toronto, Lowry scored zero points. Like th- the Raptors did not look good, and it still took like a, a game winning shot from DJ Augustine to to beat them. And then games two through five just weren't even close. Like. Milwaukee had a 15-point win, but like I said, like that was not a dominant performance at all. Anyone who watched that game knows that was not a dominant performance. Toronto literally had games versus Orlando last year where they were up like 24 to 4, like six minutes through the first quarter. Like they absolutely dominated. So I just and I think honestly, the big thing is Marcus is a lot better of a defender than Brooke Lopez. And I know Brooke Lopez has looked great in this scheme, but when it comes to adapting and guarding a guy like Vucevic one on one, Marcus is a lot better and Vucevic did not have like a single 30 point game. He might've even had a 20 point game in that entire series last year. So I just, I, I don't think like I, and that's the name of the game for Milwaukee. They don't adapt. Okay. Now what if this kind of leads me to my next question? What if 
Milwaukee decides to go a little bit smaller for longer stretches and actually have Giannis defend Vooch. Uh, I mean, that would work a lot better for them defensively still. But I mean, if Giannis is defending Vucevic 35, 40 minutes a game, he's going to be really tired offensively. And I mean, I already brought it up. He has to do everything for them. And I mean, he does. And those people, okay, I do want to like, those people who say Giannis's limitations are what's losing them games, like need to just stop. Okay. The, the only reason they're in these games is because yes, his limitations hurt, but when he drives, he's literally attracting three bodies, like three guys is what it takes to stop him. That means two of his teammates are open, two of which I mentioned. One was an all-star one quote unquote should have been an all-star like Giannis's limitations is not what's losing them games. It's what everyone else's limitations. Does what happens if Dante DiVincenzo comes back to life this series? I don't know what's what's back to life for Dante DiVincenzo. A quick ten points. I mean, giving him valuable space thing. I just I I mean, if Dante DiVincenzo is the argument for what's going to beat the Magic, and he comes out and drops like twenty, then there we go. But I like I could I think Pat Connaughton is more likely to do damage because he's a better shooter, and I mean he has these past two games. Good point. Here's my last and final pushback. I think Middleton is a better self-starter and creator than what you give him credit for. And I'm only saying this because he happens to light up my Celtics every single freaking time he plays them. And like, I've, we've, we've seen him hit like wild shots. Um, do you think you're underselling Chris Middleton? Uh, if I was talking about Chris Middleton in the regular season, yeah, because he's 50, 40, 90, but we literally saw it last year in the playoffs versus Toronto and how many points did he have yesterday? Like four? Like what? Did, how many did he have? Like he just, I don't know what it is. Some guys literally just hit a wall in the playoffs. And that was always Toronto's deal with DeMar is he just hit a wall. And Middleton and Bledsoe just don't perform. And clearly it wasn't just the big crowd in the atmosphere. It was just the hype of the game. And as soon as you can start game planning for them, they just can't do what it takes. My last question for you. Do you pronounce Toronto Toronto, or do you say Toronto? Yeah, there's no second T. It's just Toronto. So that, but that's that. So that's wait. So you, I want to hear you say it one more time. Toronto. Toronto. Yeah, it's not. It's not Toronto, and it's also not Toronto. Like I don't know where people got that from. I've never heard someone from Toronto say Toronto. What about just like Toronto? Yeah, I mean that works. That works. Okay. But you don't need to emphasize um, that. Am I gonna? Like, Am I, am I going to invest in your – it sounds like you just sneezed. Am I going to invest in your <laughs> in your pitch? Probably not, but I'm not going to lie. Like, it was it was somewhat convincing. I'm not going to lie. I legitimately – I'm kind of happy you – because I gave you first choice. You took Portland. And mm. I thoroughly, thoroughly believe that Orlando has a better chance of beating Milwaukee than Portland does of the Lakers. And that's not because I think Orlando's better than Portland because they're not. And it's not because I think – the Bucks are better than the Lakers necessarily, or the Lakers are better than the Bucks. I don't know what it is, but it's just because of the matchups. Like Orlando has the length to give Giannis problems. Portland has no one to guard LeBron and AD, and I mean, we saw that last night. So, it, it, more matchup based. But yeah, I um, realistically, am I still picking the Bucks to win this? Like no, but I actually think I wouldn't be surprised if they could take another game off them because they honestly should have won yesterday. They shot twenty something percent from three. Yeah, they no that and and that would have been like everyone would have been hitting the panic button if that happened. Um, let me sell you on Portland. I'm ready. Okay, so the first word that comes to mind. Do I have to start with the hello, the hello sharks? No, you can just jump right into it. 
I'm jumping right in, man, because you know what? It's me. It's natural. It felt good. So I'm going to start with a word that I think I'm going to actually like invent right now if it hasn't been invented. I'm going to start with the term explodability. Now, am I talking about you know that 10-minute window after you eat Taco Bell? No. I'm talking about Dame Lillard, okay? Um, this guy, like, this guy will have a 50-point game in this series. It's it's gonna happen, right? And the opportunities are always there. So if you if you look at what Portland did last night, um, so the Lakers game plan has been to kind of help and double a lot on Dame. And what one of the things that Portland tried to do was set higher screens to give Dame the opportunity to pull up. And him and CJ had those chances. They just missed a lot. Like, I, the ball just doesn't go in sometimes. But, you know, what's going to happen is, like, in one of these games, that ball is going to start to go in. And if Dame and CJ can have, a, like, one night when they get hot together, let's say it happens um, Saturday when they play, you know, that could result in a 2-1 lead right there, okay? So, explodability. We've seen Anthony Davis get a lot of points. We obviously know LeBron can put up uh, north of 50 in the playoffs. We saw him do it against Golden State in that that uh, that game one that J.R. Smith and George Hill kind of blew. But Dame is the one that can explode the highest and do it the most frequently. I think that can win him a game or multiple games. Second, uh, second bullet point, okay? The Lakers have some really streaky shooting. And, and this is going to like mesh with another point I want to talk about. So last night, obviously, Anthony Davis had – a great night shooting from deep and really, really hurt Portland that way. But like at the end of the day, if I'm Terry Stotts, I'm living with Andy, Anthony Davis playing far away from the hoop. Okay. And we've seen how Danny Green has been not good at all uh, shooting wise in these playoffs. Same with KCP. He struggled as well. Um, and then the Lakers play lineups a lot of times with non-shooters on the floor or mo- multiple non-shooters with Dwight and JaVale McGee. They do those lineups a lot. Um, I you know, the Lakers can shoot themselves out of a game. We saw it in game one. Why can't that happen again? Um, let's go back to AD being too far from the basket. Yeah, it worked last night. It's not going to continue to work. That's just not who he is historically. I mean, at best, he's an average three-point shooter, but he's been below average for his career. So if he's playing away from the hoop, all right, cool. Um, and then I also think Portland has the ability to make a lineup change that could hopefully unlock some things, right? So... We're seeing Wenyan Gabriel start games. I understand why uh, for the height and and for his energy and in that matchup. I don't think it's a good move, and I actually think that that's going to change at some point. And I wouldn't be surprised to see Portland actually just throw in Gary Trent and go a little bit smaller and have Carmelo try and match up with one of the one of the bigger Laker players. And the reason I think that this is at least something they could try is it gives them more shooting and they need that spacing desperately. So they can make that kind of lineup change. They also have the ability to play through Nurkic more because the Lakers are doubling off of him. I think there's a window here and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not like super gung ho on it. Right. But I think there's a window here for some moves to be made for Dame Lillard to explode for the Lakers to suck at shooting and next, and you know, all of a sudden Portland's up two one and, and we got a legitimate series here. Okay. My first question is I've always oh. thought AD is the biggest problem in this series. And I just, I like, what can Portland do? Either you're putting a really skinny guy like Wendy and Gabriel on. Uh, if Frank Vogel and AD finally decide to wake up and they run AD at the five, like Nurkic and Whiteside are just going to get absolutely cooked by him. And then, I mean, if you, if they go super small against the Lakers big line, like Melo's not going to be able to hold them. So how do they, how do they even manage to remotely slow AD down at all? 
Um, you you can't really. I mean, I mean, and that's what makes him a top tier player in the NBA, right? Like it's he he's a walking mismatch, right? But I, I at best, I think what you could do is try and draw help from someone else. So if he's playing with JaVel McGee, that's who you would draw the help from and hope that they don't do a big to big lob to McGee. And the Lakers are actually like really good at that. Um, that that's their best bet. But like if you're Portland, you should actually be living with how the Lakers are using Anthony Davis right now on the perimeter. Like, so I, honestly, I mean, if, if I don't think that change is going to happen, I mean, first of all, Anthony Davis needs to catch a little more flack for not wanting to p- play the five. I've been it's, saying it's that actually, this whole time. Like, I don't know why we aren't going at him. It's ridiculous. Like it, it, he, <laughs> I, I don't understand it for the life of me. I don't know why he doesn't get more criticism for it. Like play the five. It's the best position for you. It's the best position for your team. Um, but that's not going to happen. The, he doesn't want to do that. The Lakers, obviously, they play him sometime at the five. But for a lot of the game, they have Dwight next to him or JaVale next to him. And if he is playing in the perimeter, then Portland's just going to live with that. So I don't think the Lakers are going to make that change. And all of a sudden, AD is going to be in the paint more. And my thing is, like, if you want to run AD at the four for the regular season and all the regular season because you don't want him playing 82 games, banging with the biggest guy on the other team. I perfectly understand that. But this right. is the playoffs. Like, you need 16 wins. That's not very many. And all you need is four losses to to go out. Play your best lineup. Uh, he can bang with those big guys. He's big enough to do it. Like, he can do it for four mm. series. And then you have the entire offseason to rest up. Like, I don't understand it at all. It's their best lineup. They can still put out a very big lineup with 80 at the five. Like, they can literally run... 80 LeBron Morris Kuzma if they're worried about size for some reason but I honestly think the best Lakers potential lineup is something like 80 LeBron KCP Danny Green and Caruso and I just (laughs) will we ever see that I don't know but yeah I think I just think 80 is way too big of a problem for for Portland and if LeBron I guess he just wants to conserve his energy but they're he they're letting Portland get away with putting Gary Trent on him and LeBron can literally push Gary Trent across the court with one arm he can do what he can do whatever he wants against him and it was kind of ironic when Gary Trent had like an offensive push-off foul um that was called on him against LeBron last night I was like All right, that's kind of that's kind of funny but what else you got I mean I don't I don't know if I have a ton of questions I uh I don't I nail it I don't fully agree with the Wenyan Gabriel take because I think he probably is the best guy to match up with AD with Zach Collins out and honestly he boxes out every single shot offense or defense like he's a he he, a lot of hustle, and I just think if you're gonna go small and put Mello on AD, uh, especially rebounding wise, that's not gonna go well for Portland whatsoever. No, I I I agree with that, and like I like Wendy Gabriel as a player, but I I think there were too many instances last night on offense where Portland either kicked out to him or was looking to kick out, and it's like if you were to have that kick out go to Gary Trent instead, like you know, you might want to live with that sacrifice of sacrificing what Gabriel can do on the other end of the court and, on, and you know, in terms of getting you rebounds and just hope to get, you know, more offense and more spacing to open everything else up for yeah. Damon CJ. Also, if I'm Frank Vogel and I see Terry Stotts run out Hassan and Nurkic together, like, that's when I'm going small. Like, LeBron, I hate that lineup. LeBron and AD can guard those two fine, and then those two will have hell against LeBron and AD. Like, if you're running LeBron and AD at the 4 and 5, like, as soon as they throw those two bigs together, I'm putting LeBron and AD on the court as my 4 and 5 because Portland can't match up with that whatsoever. So, I, oh. I absolutely hate that Whiteside Nurkic rotation. I hate it. Yeah, and I mean, I, I guess I can see why they do it because they don't have Collins and they don't have Ariza. But, yeah, it's... Uh, 
it's it's not that it's not good. I mean, it it just isn't. So uh, overall, probably. I mean, I'm I'm sold. Like, I'm not on Portland at all. I said before game one that they can't cause the Lakers any trouble, and we've seen that through the first two games. Like, game two, they literally didn't cause them trouble. Game one, the Lakers just beat themselves by shooting 16% from three and 64% from the line and 35 or 32% from the field. So I don't think Portland can cause them problems. I think this will be Lakers in five. But, I mean, who knows? Like, we've seen the Lakers just fluctuate up and down this whole bubble, so maybe the Lakers will have another trash game and Portland will win another or maybe two more or maybe win the series. I don't know. So, overall, I'm still picking the Lakers to win this. But, yeah, I uh, <laughs> the Lakers either are going to win or beat themselves. I tend to agree with that, although this was my own pitch. Whew. Uh, hey, what do we got coming up next? Uh, I think we're going to go to Dante Turo for, uh, for a nice little Celtics conversation. So uh, we interview him about Boston and this series at hand and what it kind of looks like for the playoffs going forward. So we're, uh, we're about to bring him on, and you guys can tag team me as the two Bostons versus one Toronto guy. Yeah, I actually have – I'm planning on doing that. I'm, I'm, I have, I've never spoken to Dante once, although he's a great follower on Twitter. We interacted a bunch, but um, – don't be surprised if that happens, man. So prepare. Yeah, let's uh let's go there right now. All right, joining us, Dante Toro. He's uh chasing banners podcast. Does a bunch of Celtic stuff. He's a great Twitter follow. So uh make sure you uh you hit him up there. Uh, I first off just want to say uh, I don't know if you knew this, but Matt's a Celtics fan and I'm a Raptors fan. So you guys have full opportunity to tag team me if you want. Uh, do you think you'll be utilizing your two on one advantage during this podcast? It all depends on what you have to say about the Raptors, and we'll just have to go from there. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, our first question, uh, as it's not Raptors-related, but I just wanted to ask you, I mean, with the way the Bucks are looking and, you know, obviously Nick Nurse kind of, I guess I just brought up the Raptors there, uh, showed the world <laughs> what the game plan is against Giannis, and it's to build the wall. And him and Milwaukee really kind of looked kind of shaky. So do you are you at the point where you trust Tatum more than anyone else in the Eastern Conference in, like, a playoff series? I just want to start off by saying that right now in this series, Jason Tatum is the best player against Philadelphia. I feel like there's no question there. And the way that he's been playing um, after game one, I said he had 30 and 13, I believe, 32 and 13. I said this is just going to be a taste of what we're going to see the rest of the playoffs from Jason Tatum. Um, he's just, you know, we. it's one thing when you see it during the regular season. It's one thing when it happens, you know, he has – these big games within a month or two, and then he does it in the playoffs. So it's like, okay, it's not really a fluke. It's not just a hot streak. Like he had months off. Sure. He had a poor performance against Milwaukee, but since then, I mean, his shooting statistics, his percentages, his numbers are looking kind of similar to what they were like before the season ended. Obviously he was just scorching the league at that point. And since the playoffs started, he's been doing the same exact thing. And I'm just, even without Hayward, obviously losing Hayward is it, it sucks. There's just really no way to describe it. Um, losing a guy that averages 17 points, uh, one of the team's best playmakers, if not the best player and playmaker in my opinion, um, and someone that plays 34 minutes a night. Like it's hard to replace someone like that. But the way the Celtics have been playing, uh, Tatum and Brown especially, I'm super confident going into the future rounds. Uh, obviously, assuming. Uh, we beat Philadelphia. They're up two games to nothing right now. Um, but no, just the way Tatum and Brown have been playing together, I think that they have a shot against anyone, even without Hayward. And Kemba Walker is really 
honestly the X factor at this point. If he can play like cardiac Kemba, the Kemba Walker that we that we know, uh, then I think the Celtics are going to be in a great position to beat just about anyone in the Eastern Conference at least. Yeah, I I agree, and um, I love hearing cardiac Kemba as someone who um, has grown up in Connecticut. And, you know, he's definitely looked like he's gotten back on track a little bit. And, and I couldn't agree more with what you said about Tatum. But um, he does have a big offensive load to carry, which kind of like segues into the question I wanted to ask you. So um, I, I think Wanamaker has been OK picking up some offensive slack in the playoffs. But the Celtics definitely could use another um, another player in that bench unit. So, you know, should Danny Ainge maybe catch a little bit of heat for not drafting a guy like Matisse Stiebel or or Brandon Clark, who could be helping the Celtics right now? You know, I feel like when it comes to the draft, you look at it, I feel like the biggest player, the, the player that they really missed out on is I was a big Brandon Clark fan from uh, uh, that Memphis got him. And obviously they took Romeo Langford at 14 and a lot of people scratched their heads. But I think he has potential to be good. They could have gotten Thibel, but I think they traded those picks. They ended up getting Carson Edwards instead. And obviously, you know, in college, Carson Edwards was just a flamethrower. I mean, he mm-hmm. was just hitting threes all over the place, setting records for threes in a game, threes in a uh, NCAA tournament run. And I feel like at the time, you know, you kind of had to take a chance on that considering the bench was really lacking scoring at that point. I don't think he deserves any slack, any Ainge, for – the players that he selected, because I feel like he he drafted a good bunch. I mean, I I just mentioned Carson Edwards, not really. He didn't really have the season that we wanted him to have. Celtics fans wanted him to have. Um, It would have been nice to see him average more than three points a game and shoot better than 31% from three, considering what he did in college. But, you know, Grant Williams, Romeo Langford, Tremont Waters even, I feel like those three guys alone are, are pieces that you could have on your bench moving forward. Personally, I'm a huge Tremont Waters fan. He's from uh, New Haven, Connecticut. I went to school down there for four years, so I, I know a little bit about him. So I was excited when they got him, and I think he has potential of being a, uh, a backup point guard for this team after this year because that's how good he is. He was a G League Rookie of the Year, great on defense. He kind of struggles with the three-point shot, at least in the NBA. He had a good three-point shot in the G League. He still has room to improve, but... He's shown a lot. He's shown that he has that potential of being a backup point guard. What I want Danny Ainge to do, um, and and kind of I'm going to segue into this, I the Celtics are one piece away from being a legit title contender. And when you think like one piece away, people might be thinking, oh, like you're thinking like a superstar, you're thinking another starter, this and that. Like no, they're one piece away in the in the meaning that they need another bench player. They need another bench scorer. They need someone that can come off the bench and put up 15 points a night for the Celtics. I was all for Danny Ainge trading for Davis Bertans at the trade deadline. I think he would have been just absolutely electric for Boston. I think he would have been so perfect. One of the best shooters in the NBA this season puts up those numbers I just mentioned, Um, but I'm sure he's going to get re-signed by Washington this offseason. But I just want Danny Ainge to target, whether it's, Via trade, the Celtics have four draft picks again this year, and I just cannot imagine them drafting four guys once again. I said that last year, and they did, um, but I just can't see it happening this year because I think the rotation is pretty set. Um, I would like to see him package those picks and maybe a few bench pieces to get another score or whether or not you you package some players to uh, create cap space and go out and target a bench score. 
I feel like that's the biggest thing for Boston. People talk about they need a big man and all of this. And I understand that. I get it. I just think the biggest concern is getting another bench piece. Because if Robert Williams comes into his own, I think that will solve most of the big man issues the Celtics have. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I kind of uh, I went on a tangent there. But to answer your question, I don't think he deserves any slack for the draft picks he made. I just think he needs to focus on targeting uh, better bench pieces going into next season. No, this this was a good tangent because um, and well, now I have to ask you, uh, where did, if you don't mind me asking, where did you go to school in Connecticut? I went to Quinnipiac University. I went there oh. from 2016 to 2020. I just recently, quote unquote, graduated. Dude, that's uh, so. that's funny. My uh, my mom teaches there. She um, I think she does like some some law classes and sociology classes. But you must have had a fun time down there watching some hockey games, right? Oh, dude. I mean, that was really the biggest thing to look forward to going to Quinnipiac because they were in the uh, the national uh, championship game going into my freshman year. So they were, I think they lost like four nothing. I think they lost to uh, I forgot who they lost to. Maybe like one of the uh, Carolina team or something. But uh, regardless, yeah, I mean, being a sports fan in general, me, I mean, in high school, I was always the kid that went to all the, the sports games. So I, that kind of carried over into college. And uh, I always found myself at the hockey games and the basketball games and such. It, I will say it is tough going to the hockey games because those tickets sell out quick. In mm-hmm. the student section at those games, it could be a lot of fun. I don't know if you guys know much about uh, Quinnipiac hockey, but there's always uh, four kids that dress up in Teletubby costumes, yep. and they go to and they go to every game, and they sit uh, right behind the uh, the glass or whatever it is, and they they bang on the glass the entire game. So it, it's always a fun time, especially once I turned 21 too, and uh, you could get drinks there. It was a it was a blast. Yeah, they're they're wild down there. Um, but I so I have to ask, do you have any thoughts on New Haven Pizza? Well, Dave uh, Dave Portnoy, president of Barstool, says that yep. New Haven is the pizza capital of uh, the U.S. and there is no debating that. I was uh, once he said that he was going to New Haven to hit up those four spots. I was like, okay, he is going to realize where the real pizza's at, and he did. Uh, a pizza and bar are two of my favorite pizza places in the world. I think just you, you can't go wrong. You just want to. You just want to go out with your friends, get some pizza, get some drinks, just go go downtown New Haven, go to one of those places, and you're good to go. You can't go wrong with any of the four places. Now, now Zach, have you ever had mashed potato pizza? Because that's what bar is kind of, like, famous for. No. Have you? Is it, like, pierogi pizza? Oh, my God. Mm. What, what Pierogi pizza? Pierogi pizza? I don't know Did if I've ever had that, that before. No, it's, uh... Mm. I don't know if I've even heard of that before. It, it has, like... Yeah, uh, like anything that you'd have inside a pierogi, but on the pizza, yeah. and like it's not pizza sauce. I forget what kind of sauce they use, but they have like sour cream and stuff on it too. I don't know what's, I don't know what mashed potato pizza is. Mm. Zach, grow up for me one time. <laughs> mashed potato pizza's bomb. You gotta try it. It's so good. Well, it's we different. It's different, but you you have to try it. Me and uh, me and Matt had this conversation earlier. Uh, have you? Do you know what a doner is? Maybe. It, it's, I don't know. Do you know what shawarma Maybe... is? No, I didn't I know. I didn't know it was this Canadian of a thing. It's like, no, I've never heard of it. What is it? It's like a euro or like a gyro, however you want to pronounce it. Huh. It's kind of no, like I've never that. Never heard of that before. Uh, well, but essentially, up in Canada, it's kind of popular. You take like that meat and then you throw it on a poutine. Do you even know what that is? I mean, 
<laughs> I'm laughing because I I feel bad. I don't. I mean, no. I don't know. I don't know this like terminology you're throwing at me right now. Oh, I find it so funny because it's this like Canadian slang or whatever it is. It's it's, it's li- <laughs> they're like such popular foods up here, and it's like obviously I'm sure it's great. Yeah, it's honestly sure kind it's of like a, a stereotype like that Americans don't know what they are, and like I'm like they have to know. Like there's no way. But then, well, I'm not I'm not helping us out right now. We we don't need I'm to Ital- know. Listen, I'm Italian. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm Italian-American, I guess, but... We don't need to know because New Haven has everything you could want. They have the Listen, best pizza in the world. I'm, I'm back at home right now uh, down near Boston, and my friends down at school said, hey, come down for the weekend. We'll, we'll hit up one of these pizza spots. I'd be like, all right, be there in two hours. So I'm going to yeah. come down and visit when I'm allowed to cross the border again, and I'm gonna, <laughs> we're going to go there together, all of us. It's so great, dude. I'm telling you. It's like it'll change your life. Like I didn't think... When I got there, like before Dave Portnoy, before all that one bite stuff happened, that's like what people would always say, like New Haven pizza, like the best in the world. Like you'll never have better pizza. And I was like, is it really like that good? Like, you know, it's like I love pizza, but at the same time, it's like pizza's pizza. Like, I don't know, like you can you can make a bad pizza, but like most I mean, like, you know, I was like, how good can it really be? And I'll, I'll I'll tell you, it's it's pretty damn good. It's pretty damn good. So. Well, it's New Haven's got the highest concentration of Italian Americans, and like I would, I mean, listen, I'm an Italian American. Dante obviously is. Wilson as a last name does not sound that Italian, so maybe <laughs> I'm not maybe Italian. like maybe me and Dante will go, and you can just like you know Skype, and we can just show you. Yeah, we can do the pizza review for you. Why? Why do yeah. we have to exclude me? I feel like I would, I would, I would still <laughs> enjoy coming. You know, I have no Italian roots, but I think it would be a fun time. You'll wish Whatever. you were Italian we'll, after eating there. We'll um we'll consider it. Hearing you know we'll we'll have to hear your thoughts on this next question that we have for Dante. So um okay so let's let's bring it back to basketball because uh, it's late <laughs> next time and I'm actually freaking hungry now. Um all right, will the Gordon Hayward injury play? Well, l- first of all, let's assume the Celtics move on right to play the Raptors. Mm-hmm. Um, how big of a role or an impact will the Gordon a- Hayward injury have in a potential Raptors series? It definitely hurts the matchup that they have. I feel like, you know, the Raptors starting Siakam, OG. I, I always mispronounce his last name, so I just call him OG. Um, I feel like Hayward missing that that height, well, that, that extra wing player affects the matchup. But I think, you know, even with him being out, I think that Tatum, Brown, Kemba Walker, I mean, you lose a guy that's averaging 17 points a game and, that sucks. It, it does. But at the same time, you still got three guys averaging over 20 points a game and Tatum, who's just averaging over 30 in the playoffs right now, just on an absolute tear. I think that they still match up very well with Toronto. I originally said that the Celtics would win in six. I'm sorry. Uh, but I'm now going with the Celtics winning in seven. I think that the series will get will get uh, prolonged because of Hayward being out. I think the the series is, was going to be closed. It's going to be down to the wire every single game because when the Celtics Raptors play, it's always good. It's always a good game, minus that one bubble game that they just had. The Celtics won by like twenty-two or something. Um, it's always competitive. They always go at each other. The one player that I think is going to uh, be a problem for the Celtics, in all honesty, is Fred VanVleet because I just watched this guy play, especially in the bubble. And I'm just like, I don't think I've ever seen him miss. Like, he's just so good. Like he just lights up, especially from three. Like he is just such a great player. 
Um, that's definitely someone that the Raptors need to keep around. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think he's going to be a free agent this offseason. He is. So I think that they're going to definitely, you know, do whatever it takes to keep him around long term. Um, But everyone else, I feel like the Celtics match up with pretty well, even without Hayward. I think the Raptors have a stronger bench. But at the same time, I think, you know, with the playoffs, teams, uh, you know, the rotations are cut shorter. Starters are playing much more like the Celtics have been playing eight guys. So I don't think that there will be a real issue there with the benches being with the bench being exposed. I think that it'll be a great series, but I still think Boston will come out on top. Yeah, I think that that series really is such a coin flip that if you ask any Raptors guy, they're going to say Raptors in seven. You ask any Celtics guy, they're just going to mm-hmm. say Celtics in seven. Yeah, and and not not to interrupt you, I'm sorry, but like it is a coin flip. Like that's literally what the series is. Both teams are neck and neck. Like people, I whenever I see like these media sites saying putting Toronto like multiple spots ahead of Boston or or vice versa, I'm like it's closer than people think. Like I mean, Toronto's a defending champs. They have the second best record in the league, and they deserve all of that. Like they deserve all the all the credit that goes their way. Like I'm not taking anything away from them, but Boston's right there with them. They're neck and neck, and I just think that series it can go either way. I mean, Toronto could win in seven, and it's not like one of those things that would be a shocking upset. Like I can absolutely see Toronto beating Boston. I just think the way the Celtics are playing, um, the way we expect Tatum Brown if they keep playing the way they are, I just think it would be tough for. Uh, the Raptors to make it by the Celtics in seven that, but that's just my opinion. Obviously I'm a Celtics fan. So that's the way I look at it. But I, I, I also see and understand where Toronto fans are coming from when they say that their team can win in seven. Hey, Hey Dante, never apologize for picking the Celtics <laughs> one series. Okay. Um, Listen, it's just, it's, it's just in my blood. I have no choice, but to say the Celtics are going to win. That's just how it is. No, I, I hear you. Um, and, and I agree with you, but Let's you know what? Let's stick with another Hayward question for now, just because um, it, it it makes sense too. So obviously he has the worst luck out of anyone who has ever lived ever. Of course, of course. Um, what does his? How do you think his injury is going to impact his future free agency decision? Yeah, so it's it's tough. It's really tough for him. It, it's unfortunate for him. It's unfortunate all these things that have happened to him since being a boss. And I. I in my in the past few days, I've been on a few different podcasts. I've done my own podcast, and I brought this up. Before he came to Boston, he's never missed more than ten games in a season. He had there was one lockout year where he played sixty six games, but that was it was a lockout year. He never had any serious injury uh, injuries before coming to Boston. Obviously, first game as a Celtic, destroys his leg out for the year. Comes back the next year, just not there physically. Might have been one hundred percent mentally, just nowhere near one hundred percent. And then this year, the guy comes out averaging over 20 points a game, and then 10 games in, breaks his hand. Throughout the year, had little, multiple, like, nagging injuries. He said his foot kept, was bothering him, was giving him some pain, but he kept playing through it. And then this happens. The guy has the worst luck in the world. I mean, especially since coming to Boston, I can't think of an unluckier player in basketball. I think that, you know, a lot of people, a lot of fans, more than you'd think, really want to trade Gordon Hayward. They really want to trade him for a big man. They really want to get rid of his contract. And I think the reason why a lot of people want him gone or just like don't like him, I guess, is because he doesn't perform to how much money he's being made. But people need to realize that he's the fourth option on this team. Literally has a less than 22% usage rate and he's putting up the numbers that he does. Like there is no other fourth option in the NBA that does what he does in the starting lineup especially. 
So I want him to be a Celtic for the rest of his career. I don't want, I want to make that, uh, make that, uh, that point uh, straight. I want to get that straight. It's just the fact that he can't stay on this team making the money that he does. So I don't think Danny Ainge would ever offer him a max contract after this one is up. I that there's just a 0% chance that happens. I can see him signing a, a hometown discount. And I mean, you can $20 million a year. I mean, that's still a lot of money, but I guess in today's NBA, that would be a discount. I can definitely see Hayward signing a four year, $80 million deal to stay in Boston. Um, you know, because Danny Ainge needs to sign Tatum. He that contract, his extension is going to be given to him this offseason, and that is going to be an absurd amount of money. Uh, so they're going to be tied to the cap for a little bit. So they're going to want to keep Hayward around. If they want to keep him around, it's going to have to be for a cheap deal. Um, it's almost impossible to trade him because of how much money he makes. So that's just out of the equation. If Gordon Hayward wants to leave, I, listen, I think there might be a few teams when he's a free agent, like the Hawks, the Knicks, the Kings, like. These low-tier teams that have a lot of cap space might want to throw a max contract at him just to have a name player that could, you know, he could, Hayward could put up 20, 20-something points and put up really good stats on a bad team. He just can't. Like, that, he still has that in him. I just don't think, if I'm Hayward personally, I don't want to leave Boston because you have it made there. You have your role. Sure, you're not the number one, two, or three option. You're the fourth option but you're on a championship contending team and you're really good at what you do in that role. So if I'm him, I'm staying in Boston. You take the cheaper deal. He has to realize that not many other teams, especially contending teams. Sure. If he wants to leave and go to another contender, they're probably not going to pay him as much as Boston would. And he probably wouldn't have it as made as he does in Boston. So I think his injury history doesn't help him in the fact that he's not going to have any leverage when it comes to negotiating money. Like, if he says to Danny Ainge, I want a max contract, which, I, like I said, I don't think he will, Danny Ainge is going to be like, dude, listen, the past three years, you've barely played for us. Like, it sucks. It's not your fault. But that's just the truth. So I think he's not going to have much leverage when it comes to that. So with that being said, I think he will be staying in Boston just for a lesser, um, lesser deal, less, lesser money than what he makes now. I, got, I, uh, I have a question. Why are Boston fans basically just Nick fans, but for a better team? Oh my God! What kind of question? I listen. The Knicks fans should be heartbroken. They had they got the eighth pick last night in the draft lottery. My buddy's a, a Knicks fan from back at school, and I feel like it just keeps getting like worse and worse for them. I don't know. It seems like every time like a big name free agent comes up, like no matter how much cap room they have, he ends up in a Knicks jersey. Okay. But then also I every get, single Celtics fan is like, no, no, he's coming to Boston. I get I get where you say I get where you're coming from. Um, in that, from that perspective, I mean, over the past few years, it's always been like that. Um, you know, Kevin Durant. Well, I mean, honestly, Kevin Durant had a really, that was a really good chance. He came to Boston. He just decided to go to Golden State instead. Uh, Kevin Love has always been thrown around. Uh, a lot of trade targets, uh, trade targets, a lot of uh, Paul George, Jimmy Butler, Kawhi Leonard. Yeah, I mean, I understand Boston fans just, they were impatient the last few years. They see... They would, they would see Brown, they would see Tatum, they would even see Rozier, and they'd be like, all right, like we're not going to win with these guys. Let's trade them for big-name superstars that will probably leave in a few years. And this is why Danny Ainge doesn't uh, listen to people. This is why he listens to himself, because if he did that, if he traded for Kawhi Leonard, would we have been in contention for a championship and maybe won one? Sure. But then he leaves, and then what do we have left? You know what I mean? Same with Anthony Davis. They wanted both Jalen and Jason. Yeah. That would have been one of the stupidest trades 
in the world if Danny Ainge did that and then Anthony Davis leaves? Like, what do you leave? What do you leave the Celtics there? They have nothing. So Danny Ainge is a very, very, very smart man. He stayed patient throughout this entire process of just holding on to the young guys, not uh, not biting, uh, not uh, taking the bait and taking a guy that would probably leave within a year and just, you know, letting the guys grow and develop. And this is why I am very blessed to have uh, Jace Tatum and Jalen Brown on the team because we gave them time and look where they are now. They're just fire and ice. One of the best young duos in the NBA. That's just how it is. I, I just come from a different perspective as a Raptors fan where we're not even confident in keeping our own stars when they're up. So that's just... That's... I will, I'll tell you what, I think Kawhi Leonard should have stayed in Toronto. If I he think... stayed in Toronto, he would have. you guys would have won the championship this year, I, in my yeah. opinion. This team would have had like... And they probably they wouldn't have been as good, but they would have been able to have a Warriors-esque run where they were just dominant for three seasons, depending on health. I, like, I, I very much agree with you. I think he had it made in Toronto. And, you know... I guess I get it, like wanting to go to L.A. because it's L.A. and you you go with Paul George, I guess. But playoff P, I mean, he he really doesn't do much in the playoffs. So I mean, I don't know. I I think he had a they had a great thing going in Toronto. But I mean, hey, at at the end of the day, you guys are still doing very well. I mean, you guys record wise are better than you were without him uh, with him last year. So I mean, it it all works out, I guess. Yeah, he had a better playoff P with Pascal. So. Uh... Hey, him and Kawhi stayed together for a few years. That is, that's a top NBA duo. Yeah, that would be a duo people would be talking about for a few years. Absolutely, I completely agree. Um, and and you know, now it's time to actually like get to a, a good question. Um, just to make up for for Zach's Zach, your face is so funny. Just to make up for his, his next question. Your so, face is funny. <laughs> so power rank these Dantes. Ready? Oh, God. Dante okay. from backyard baseball. Mm, okay. Dante the Italian poet. Okay. Dante Exum. <laughs> and yourself. Oh, that's a great question. Okay. So I'm gonna put because I'm uh because I'm humble, because I don't like to talk highly about myself. I'm gonna no, you know what? No, I'm putting Dante Exum last. I'm not gonna put myself last. I'm putting Dante Exum last. I okay. wanted Dante Exum. Uh that was the same draft as Marcus Smart. And he went at five. We took Marcus Smart at six, and I really wanted us to take Dante Exum just because of his name. And I was like, "Yeah, let's keep the Dantes in Boston. Like this would be sick." Yep. Good thing that didn't happen because he didn't really pan out to anything. Uh, third, I'll go with uh, I'll go with myself because, like I said, I'm humble. I want to put I don't want to uh, put myself ahead of Dante from Backyard Baseball at two. And the reason why I put Dante the poet at number one is because that's who I'm actually named after. Mm. So you. Dante's kind of Inferno, win. Dante Alighieri. That's uh, that's where my na- the name Dante comes from. That's why Dante is my name. You kind of win either way there, because like you have you have representation across the board. You get to stay modest, but also kind of lock down that number one spot. It, yeah, listen. At the end of the day, there's a Dante at number one, so that's all I can ask for. That that's that's fine with me. I do have to say though, Dante from Backyard Baseball was unbelievable. Just just a. A, a, a cheat code, right? Just a perfect. Game he was the perfect third that, baseman. That was the perfect baseball game. Period. Facts. They need to bring that back. I would say that, and I liked Slugfest because you could like Ooh, punch people and one. throw the ball at people, and that <laughs> was fun. Um, we'll we'll do our baseball video game rankings another day. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, so I like that. if if you were uh, if you were Philly, 
Would mm-hmm. you post up this? I love this question. Would you just post up and be like 50 times a game? Right. I mean, obviously it's a little sarcastic, but like, would you play him more in the paint? Like, what else are you going to do with him? You know what I mean? Like, that's just his game. He's a post-dominant center. They can go to that every play. Either he's going to do something with it, or he gets double-teamed, passes it out, or turns the ball over, and he's going to give it out to one of Tobias Harris or Al Horford, who's probably going to miss a shot or do nothing with the ball. It's such a shame. That, like, it's not a shame. I mean, I really don't care. I'm not a Philly fan. I'm really not the biggest fan of Philly or their fans, to be quite honest with you. I thought you um, would be as a Boston guy. On no, dude. In my Twitter mentions, <laughs> on my Twitter, I have so many Philly fans just like that just say just absolute nonsense and just act like their team is better than everyone else's. And I'm just like, listen, you're literally the Boston Celtics of last year. Like that's literally their best <laughs> comparison. Like the Celtics had such high expectations, and obviously that didn't go that it didn't go well. Same with the Sixers. People at the beginning of the year when they got Horford, when they signed Harris. All these guys, they got Josh Richardson. They were like, they're coming out of the East. They're they're one of the best teams in the East. They're one of the teams to beat. And they end up being the sixth seed. And they're going to end up being maybe swept by the Celtics. Obviously, they don't have Simmons. But I don't think, I think the series really wouldn't have gone on much further if Simmons was healthy. But if I can say something, I think that Joel Embiid is the one that needs to get traded between the two if something happens. I just don't think Simmons and Embiid is going to work out. It hasn't the past few years. The farthest they've gone is to the semifinals, the second round of the playoffs. Sure, they lost off of a, a crazy game winner from Kawhi, but even if that game goes into overtime, I don't think they would have won. Even if they made it to the Eastern Conference Finals, God forbid they did beat the Raptors, they're not going to beat Milwaukee. They just, I don't know, they've been overrated for years. The whole trust the process thing has run its course. And I think Ben Simmons is the ideal player to build around. Literally, the only weakness to his game is his shooting. That's it. Everything else in his game, he is so good at. He is an all. He is an, a first-team defender, in my opinion. He is one of the best passers. He can. The guy can average a triple-double in the season if he wanted to. Like that's just the type of way he plays. And for the Sixers, like it's just so hard to build around and work with a guy that's just so post-dominant. Like if this was like the early 2000s, sure, but it's just not. And his game just doesn't like, I don't know. It it just really doesn't translate as well as to what Simmons does. I don't think those two work well together. So I know that's kind of different topic and you guys didn't really bring that up, but I I think after this series, after this season, the Sixers are going to have to make some serious changes if they want to, you know, be an actual contending team in the Eastern Conference because right now they're not and they, they they've been frauds all year in my opinion so they need to make some changes for that to happen but that that's my opinion there so even though Milwaukee so far has looked kind of kind of shaky I mean I would still fully expect them to get past Orlando but mm-hmm. we'll still crown them for as far as this season goes they're the best team in the East right now as it goes so out of Boston Toronto and Miami rank those three based on who would give Milwaukee the most problems to who would give Milwaukee the least amount of problems? That's a tough question because I think all three teams really in their own way, you could argue would be the biggest, um, you know, they'd match up the best with Milwaukee. Um, from what I've seen, I mean, the three games, the Milwaukee Bucks and the Celtics have played Celtics have gone down very early and they would, they would come back and whether they'd win or lose, they won the first game. Second game, they didn't come back. They lost by like five or something. They came back way too late. 
those two games, Jalen Brown didn't play. So I, that's, that's just something to point out. And then the last game in the bubble, um, you know, they got down early. They were, they basically were down 17, nothing. It was 17, two, but that two points was scored by the bucks. That was just an accidental bucket. And, you know, towards the end of the game, the Celtics came back, got the lead. And then, you know, there was some stuff going on with the referees. They were made, they made some bad calls, uh, momentum shifted towards Milwaukee and the Celtics lost. But I think that every game that they've played, just Boston looked so well against Milwaukee. And it just made you think like in a seven game series, this team can take them down. So I'm going to put Celtics at one. I'd probably put Toronto at two because of how, you know, just from top to bottom, their starters, their bench, how strong they are, how many different options they have. But at the same time, Miami, in my opinion, is like one of the sleeper teams in the playoffs. I think that they have one of the best rosters in the NBA. Just they have shooters all around. They have veteran players. They have young guys. They got uh, Bam at a Bayou, who's a budding, uh, a budding star. He was an all-star this year. Jimmy Butler, who's really their only superstar, but he – it's Jimmy Butler. Like, he brings the best out of his teammates. And they have something that can easily take down the Bucks, and that is a lot of shooting. Because Milwaukee, great paint defense. They have the best paint defense in the entire league, the best defense in the entire league, period. But they allow the most points, the highest percentage from three against teams. And if Miami can get hot and they're hitting threes against them, that is going to be it. A interesting and I think that would be a long series as well and Miami was up 20 against them when they played in the bubble and then obviously Milwaukee came back and they and they like steamrolled them in the fourth but if Miami could not allow that to happen and just stay you know put on the gas stay on top of them that's a series I can see going six or seven games as well like I, I think Miami is that good I think that they are literally one one star away next to jimmy butler from becoming like a legit contender um but no i'd probably go celtics raptors heat to play it safe but all three teams you can make a fair argument as to why they match up the best with milwaukee well hopefully it's the celtics and i'm gonna be pretty shameless about that um (laughs) but but we're gonna we're gonna end on one last question which i think is actually pretty difficult to answer so i'm really looking forward to your to your response here um what really is the Celtics championship window? Mm-hmm. So I think the championship window for Boston is probably around. And honestly, it, it, it's, it's all right. So there's a lot of like factors that play along into it because Jason Tatum's going to sign his extension. Jalen Brown's extension is going to start next year. You're going to have those two guys together for at least another four or five years, right? And then after that, it all comes down to whether or not they resign and stay in Boston. If they stay together, if, if Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown stay together, no injuries, nothing like that. We're just going to go no injuries to anyone. That championship window is going to be open for 10 years. Just, if, just from those two being together, I think that just the way they continue to grow, they continue to get better together. I mean, Jason Tatum, rookie year, made it to Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Finals. Was pro- he was the leader of that offense. Jalen Brown, that was his coming out uh, run, that playoff run. Last year was last year, and then this year they finally get freedom to do what they want and look how look how it turned out. That's It's only going to get better for them. There, there's only room for improvement, and that's scary to think about, Like especially with Tatum. like He's 22, Brown's 23, and that they are four or five years away from hitting their prime. 
they hit their prime together on that Celtics, and the, and Danny Ainge being the GM that he is just fills them, uh, surrounds them with talent that could take them to the finals or take them to at least the Eastern Conference Finals every year that makes them a contender, that window is going to be open for a while. Now, with Hayward, his situation, he's going to have one more year in Boston. Uh, there's no way he's not going to pick up his player option because he's not going to get $30 million anywhere else. After that, who knows? Like, we talked about his contract extension. We'll, we'll see what happens with that. Kemba Walker, he's going to have three years left. By the time his contract is up, and I know you guys probably have heard rumors about this as well, there's a certain guy named Donovan Mitchell who's going to be coming around free agency when Kemba mm-hmm. Walker's contract is up. And now I'm not trying to sound like a homer. I'm not trying to sound like one of those guys you mentioned earlier Nick that like, thinks the Celtics are going to get everyone. But this is a legit like this is a legit thing. Like he is so close to Jalen, to Jason, even Kemba. He's close with Marcus Smart. They're all hanging out together in the bubble They're They've become super close from Team USA. Um, the all star game they played together. I think that when one window closes with one guy, another one's going to open. When one door closes, another door opens, I, I, I meant to say. So I think that the Celtics will be in position to fill that roster out with other stars, other reliable go-to players if Tatum and Brown stay together. It all depends on if Tatum and Brown stay together. If they stay together, that championship window is open for a long time. If they're just here for the next five years, I'm going to say five years. Plus, uh, Donovan Mitchell is from Connecticut, which is not too, too far from Boston. So, uh, yep. I listen, I will do anything right now to get the Donovan Mitchell, the Boston train rolling. I I fully support it. It's a few years away, and that that is a very difficult question to answer because there's a, just a lot of factors, a lot of hypotheticals to throw in there. And, like, right. you can't see into that. You don't even – we're not even know what's going to happen over the next few months in the off season. Like, we just don't know. So, it's hard to really – and in the NBA today – you know, you think you have a good thing going and then it can all go to crap in a few months. And I example Kyrie Irving. <laughs> I mean, that's just the biggest example of like you think you have something good going. He says he wants to stay in Boston and then he leaves for Brooklyn. It's like qu- things change quickly in the NBA and there's no stopping that. So it's really hard to tell like how long you can say a championship window is going to be there for. Um, but yeah, going back to Donovan Mitchell, obviously that would be a few years away. He still has room to grow. I mean, he just dropped 57 in the in the play in the game one, but he he still has ways to improve. I want to see him become more of an all around player, a guy like a facilitator, kind of some guy that you can trust to make his teammates better, and not a guy that just goes off for uh, high scoring games. Like he's good at that, but if he wants to, if 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 Donovan Mitchell is going to be in Boston, and you already have Jalen and Jason. He needs to kind of adjust his game, and I think over the next few years he'll mature and he'll be a better player in that aspect. So by the time that comes around where he can come to Boston, I think those three together would be just – it would be a insane, insane trio. But who knows? Who knows what will happen? We'll get there when we get there, I guess. Yeah, and I heard Donovan Mitchell's really good friends with like R.J. Barrett and Mitchell Robinson and them too. So, and he really likes <laughs> oh. Tibbs. So I'm <laughs> sure, I'm sure it'll be a toss-up between like, Boston and the Knicks. Listen, does he want to go to – the Knicks and play with those guys. I listen, Mitchell Robinson, I think has potential to be like one of the better centers in the NBA. He just fouls out like in 15 minutes for the Knicks. Uh, But listen, if you have a chance to go to a franchise like the Celtics a a few years from now, they're still contending. I mean, it's not a bad place to look. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, no, I mean, 
Hey, we'll have to, at least we have that. At least we have that over uh, franchises like the Knicks. Like they have the the allure. They have the the Knicks. They have the Madison Square Garden, but they don't have the winning. That that's the thing. I, listen, Boston. It's cold for like half the year. You got to pay taxes. I mean, you could go to Florida and Miami and not pay taxes and be in Miami Beach for four years. But at the same time, it's like I don't know. You don't know what it's like playing for Boston until you actually go there. A lot of players have said that, so we'll see what happens. Who knows? Yeah, it's hard to get much worse as organization as the uh, the Knicks. I uh, I kind of want to end this off on proposing a wager to you guys, and you guys can choose to accept it or you can be scared. Um, <laughs> okay. But I think pretty clearly we're going to get a Toronto-Boston second-round matchup. So what I'm going to say is it's nothing crazy, but if Toronto wins the series – you guys both change your Twitter banners to something Toronto-related just for the Eastern Conference Finals. And then if Boston wins, I will change mine to something Boston-related for the Eastern Conference Finals. I drive a hard bargain. I love how you said you can either do it or just be scared. Well, like, I mean, really, how confident are you? Because if you're confident, then you could basically just say, yeah, okay, you can go change your, your Twitter banner to something Boston-related because we're not going to have to do anything. I, all right, listen, I will do it. Um, I will accept it, but on the condition that you constantly update me on Canadian slang, so I know what like a like you a like a donut is. A poutine is fries, gravy, and cheese curds. Very simple concoction. Hmm. It fries, like gravy, like cheese curds. Cheese curds. It doesn't really sell me, you know. I mean, it honestly doesn't sound as great as it tastes. Like, even just thinking about... Okay, like, what gravy are we talking? Like, just, like, what's the gravy like? I, I it's, like, some sort of thick gravy. I don't, I'm, not a, I'm not a gravy expert. Are we <laughs> Are we talking gravy like what people from, from like, Quincy Mass would say? Like, like Italian, like, sauce? Are we talking gravy like, you know, you can find it at Popeye's? Yeah, that's what Yeah, I'm, like, that's, legitimate, that's like, like, gravy, yeah. Like, Popeye's gravy, not, like, pasta sauce type thing. Yeah, because, like, Italians, I hear gravy. Like, I'm thinking, like, a, a red sauce, so like a marinara or something like yeah, that. No, 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 or no, meat no. sauce. But Okay, okay. You know what? No, you know what? I'll take you up on that because I, I am very confident in the Celtics winning this series. So I'm not – I don't have anything to be nervous about. I have I'm in on it, too. About, so you're in. I like it. Count I like me. it. Uh, Dante, thanks so much for coming on. We'll have to do this again. And especially if Boston does go far in the playoffs, we'll uh, – hey, we'll have to bring you back on. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you guys uh, having me on. I, I had a blast, but go Celtics. That's right. Um, Derek, we appreciate you having you on, man. Our first question, we're going to dive right in. If Minnesota trades their number one pick, who are some possible candidates? And um, if they don't trade it, just as a follow-up, who, um, who do you think they should take at number one overall? So I think the two teams you're looking at as a potential trade are Detroit and the Knicks. Those are the only two that, as you look at the rest of the lottery and even the middle of the first, that I feel like would be willing to go up and trade for that because they both need a point guard of the future. They both need a point guard that you can build around, build your whole roster and organization around. And whether you believe that's LaMelo Ball or Killian Hayes or somebody else, that's the only scenario. Like, I have to have my guy. Uh, that you would be willing to trade up for. I think they're going to have a very difficult time trading out of it. I think Minnesota ultimately is, it's crazy that we have to say getting stuck with the number one pick, but I think that's a likelihood here. And I believe that they'll take Anthony Edwards. Um, I don't know if that's the best fit. Again, depending on Malik Beasley's contract, what you want to do there. You know, Do you want to make all your decisions based upon Malik Beasley? Probably not. 
But if you do believe in him as a long-term piece, maybe you go with Optia. But I think Edwards will ultimately be the guy selected at one if they decide to keep it. Go ahead, Zach. Oh, I was going to say, that's really interesting that you brought up uh, Denny Avdia because I I like, I like don't follow the draft as precisely as like someone like you do who's in, in the business. And I especially don't watch a ton of the European ball. So I really don't have much of an idea of who this guy is. So, I mean, you just mentioned Minnesota possibly taking him at number one. And I know you tweeted out last night that he was your biggest winner of how the whole lottery shaped out. So can you just tell us a bit for like those of us who – I've never watched him play. Like, what is play styles kind of like? And then what team in that lottery do you think he would fit with best? Yeah, so Denny Avdia is uh, playing in the Israeli league right now. I believe he's still 19 years old. And I have him comfortably in my three to six range, possibly even top five, uh, depending on kind of fit, what you believe his ceiling can be later. But he's 6'9". Um, I'd say average athleticism, but he's a fantastic straight line athlete. Just an absolute fiery competitor, intense in everything he does. Um, you know, loves the game, just eats, sleeps, breathes basketball, and just wants to play, wants to win all the time. Sometimes that can come out negatively on the court with throwing his hand up at the refs or yelling at a teammate or something like that. But I look at that and it's because he cares. So he's got point forward capabilities, active on both ends, um, can be a really strong defensive presence if you need him to be because his basketball IQ is so good. But the swing skill for him is going to be his three-point shooting. It's always been, you know, high 20s, three-point shooter, just nothing really effective enough to where you kind of want to hold on to that. But during the beginning of this quarantine, he really grabbed onto fixing his shot and making it shorter, making it cleaner, removing all unnecessary movement. And I believe he's hitting low to mid-30s since they started playing again. So even though it's a sample size, like 12 to 15 games, there has been an improvement. So he's comfortably in the top five for me. Um, just kind of depends on, you know, what people at the top want to do. I think him going one to Minnesota would be a reach. And I don't know, I don't, I don't have a problem with it. Like if you, if they're comfortable with D'Lo and they don't want to add a point guard, you know, go with somebody that fits that four position that you need. And again, I lean to take anybody who's a point four who can also handle the ball at that size. So that's why I really like him. But I believe if I had to predict, I think he ends up in Golden State at the two spot. There have been some ties to Golden State and, and Avdia kind of throughout this process. So it wouldn't shock me if that was the move. So that that's um, that's funny that you brought that up because it kind of segues into what I was going to ask you next. Um, what do you think? So I, the Warriors are one of the winners of this this lottery, but what do you think that they're going to do with that pick? And I, and I know you mentioned but um, as a guy that they might take if they decide to keep it. Um, but I'm assuming that they're looking for someone who can come in and contribute right away, right? Yeah, so I think the three the three that kind of stand out to me as potential fits there are Wiseman, Avdia, and Okoro. And mm-hmm. Okoro, I, I, you know, I wasn't sure about for a while. I, I think two is a stretch for him. But his defensive prowess on and off the ball, he's an absolute stopper. And he's one of the best live dribble passers in this class. Like, obviously, the scoring and the shooting can be an issue, but he's a phenomenal athlete. And if you're going to get a guy who is a defensive stopper, but you don't have to hide or, you know, make up a bunch of ground for on the offensive end, if he can help facilitate. I mean, his drive and kick is awesome. I mean, who else do you want to drive and kick to than Steph and Clay? And on the defensive end, if you want, I mean, if you have Okoro and Draymond out there, you're going to be difficult to score on. So while there will be growing pains, I could see Okoro being a really good fit in Golden State. Uh, Denny would fit the, the power forward role really, really well and could handle some pick-and-roll duties 
And then Wiseman, if you want to go with like a standard, hey, we need a big for the future, you take the kid who's 7'1", 235, and this is like really intelligent, really intelligent person. So those are the three that stand out to me as probably the most likely to go at two if they stay there. And you, you did tweet out yesterday, I just mentioned this, about how you think Denny is probably the uh, the prospect that benefited most. But is there, aside from him, is there another guy that you think uh, benefited the most from the way the lottery played out and the way the, the teams are kind of ordered there? Avdi, I think, is the clear winner for me. I think Hayes Hayes will have benefited uh, a bit as well because I know there's some there's some teams that really, really like him as, again, point guard of the future. So Chicago at four would be an interesting fit. I also would be surprised if Hayes slipped past uh, the Detroit pick as well, because they're again they need that guard. So if those two, including the Knicks, don't trade up for one, I don't see a world where Hayes falls too far based on the way this shook out. That's see, this could bring up an interesting scenario. Um, and, and and I thought of it when you were talking about the Bulls. So the Bulls obviously have um, Zach Levine and they have Kobe White, but they could find themselves in a position where they take someone like Hayes. What do you think, like, how does um, a team, and, and when they look at the the positions that they have filled out, like, how could that really impact the way this draft goes? Because I think Hayes would be a, a really good fit in Chicago, despite them having some other players at a similar position. Yeah, so what we know, or what we don't know right now, is what teams are going to go best player available, and who's going to mm. go fit. Because, I mean, I think, honestly, I think you can go one through eight, maybe even ten, and there's a case to go either way. I think Cleveland is the most interesting to me because they have so many guards already. It's like, do we kind of have to go with a four or five? But again, maybe, I mean, I don't know. There's, there's so many teams that don't have to go fit. If I'm the Bulls, I'm keeping Levine, um, and I'm going with either Denny or Hayes, providing they're on the board. I think they fit well with the core that they have, uh, both from contrasting strengths and also the timeline as far as age goes. So if I'm the Bulls, those are the two that I'm targeting. Um, again, Okoro as well, if he's there because of the defensive stopper that, that you might need on the other end. Yeah. And, and I, I just want to jump in real quick, Zach. So, uh, I, I kind of agree with what you said, but let's imagine a scenario in which the bulls did take Hayes. Do you think Kobe white could maybe come off of the bench as like a, a, a six man? Cause there are times when he kind of reminds me of like a Ben Gordon type of scorer. Um, you know, is, would, would that be feasible in Chicago? Absolutely. I think it would. I also don't think you have to put him on the bench because mm. of the success that here I've seen where Billy Donovan employed a three guard lineup. Three guard lineups have grown on me. I think they, I think that lineup over the course of the year had the best plus minus uh, in the league. So you look at a possible, let's say, Hayes, White, Levine, don't even have to give them one through three if you don't want to. I think the athleticism there, they can all score, they can all pass. I think that would be a phenomenal lineup as long as you've got a big who wants to stretch and you've got one who wants to own the boards. And with Markinen's ability to step out, I mean, I see where if you went, you know, Markinen, Carter, and then Hayes, Levine, White, you're going to be pretty tough to stop because I don't think there's anywhere on the court at that point that you can't score. So we talked a lot about, you know, what players benefit from this. And we talked about, obviously, about some teams that benefited, but who do you look at now, whether it's players, teams, as you know, some of the biggest losers of the way the lottery shaped out? So I think the team everybody on Twitter knows was the Knicks. You're right. <laughs> I, I genuinely do feel bad for them. I kind of wanted them to get their centerpiece to move forward. Um, 
So eight, eight is a tough spot for them because I think I'm comfortable with like a firm top seven in the class. So it's eight is where you, you kind of say, this is like the last place I want it to be because I think your star power guys are probably off the board. Again, barring the situation where somebody ahead picks for fit and not best player available. So there's a good chance they'll have somebody slide to them. I think the players who probably suffered the most, Wiseman, if he wanted to go one, probably suffered the most. Again, if that's just if his personal desire, if that was there, because I just don't see it happening with Minnesota or anybody who trades up. Like, they're not trading up to go get Wiseman. So he could still likely go to, I think Toppin probably was hit the most. I think Toppin kind of stands out because some of the fits just don't make quite as much sense to me um, in that, like, one through four range anymore. So I think you're looking more five to nine-ish for him. Um, but again, if you tell somebody, hey, you're going to be picked five to nine in the NBA draft, it's still not a bad thing. But I think with somebody who might have had top three hopes, the way it shook out didn't benefit Toppin too much. I uh, I do want to ask about one player in specific that I'm really curious on because, like I said, I'm not a big draft guy. I don't follow it as much, but I, I like watching college ball. And one guy that always stood out to me every time I watched him, and I don't even know if I'm going to say his name right, but Onyeka Kongwu. I just I really like his game. So can you like like I honestly would take him over a ton of the guys that are placed above him on the mock drafts. Can you tell me why he isn't like a in conversation for that one two pick? Because I just I think he's amazing. Okongwu isn't discussed up there because he's just not flashy. Anybody who wants flash, you know, you want flair, you want the highlight tapes, don't take Okongwu. But if you want a high floor fantastically physically gifted presence. I mean, he's strong. He's got great hips, great feet. Um, one of the best guys in this class that can actually hedge and recover as far as, you know, your defensive uh, defensive responsibilities. And he's shown enough skill to where, yeah, he gets the BAM out of bio comp quite a bit. I'm not willing to go there yet because out of bio has improved at such a rapid rate that I think it's unfair to comp, you know, a, a prospect to him at this point. But Okongwu can be a power forward and even a five because he's strong enough at six foot nine that I think he's well worth a pick in the top ten. He's probably one of the the highest floor guys for me, but I don't know what his ceiling is yet because I don't ever see him being a shooter. I don't see him stretching the floor. So he's kind of like that guy where it's, hey, he's not going to get the highlight reel, but you know what you're going to get every game from him, and there's a place for him. So I could see a team like Atlanta taking him. If Wiseman traded out of two, or if Wiseman, I'm sorry, if Golden State traded out of two because they didn't want Wiseman and they were able to go to like six to ten, at that point I'm, I'm screaming, take Okongwu. So, again, it just kind of depends. You're not on, on Twitter and you know, Instagram, YouTube hype videos, you're not going to see any Okongwu tape, but he deserves to be up there in that top ten with everybody else. Yeah, I and, and he's someone who I'm definitely um... – Looking forward to watching more tape on because, uh, as Zach said, it's it's someone who I think it's kind of easy to like fall in love with his game. Um, but you mentioned the Knicks before as one of the losers. I actually thought that Cleveland was as well, and I forgot where I saw this tweet, but I think over the past two seasons, Cleveland's been the worst team in the league. But they've kind of made some moves to be competitive. Um, it's not like they've totally, you know, purposely tanked. So. Um, what I wanted to ask you was, do you foresee any major changes into how we determine lottery picks? As far as like the order of the teams or as far as like what we gauge in prospects as a top pick? As, as far as like the order of the teams. Yeah. So I think, I definitely think things will change and continue to, but I don't know 
how, but what makes me think it will continue to change is that the fact that the NBA did adjust the odds going into, I can't remember if it was last year or this year was the first one where it was 14, 14, 14, instead of, you know, one, two, three, all the differences. Mm-hmm. So I think the fact that it was tiered, you know, they, the, the league wants to get rid of tanking. And I don't think there's an exact science to do it. Personally, I think if you want to be a successful organization, you tank. Like, people don't want to admit that. But if you want superstars, you have to draft at the top. Um, I, I think it'll continue to change. I don't know if that's just a flat, hey, worst record gets one, you know, just like football and you just work backwards. I think it is a dangerous game from a fan perspective. And I fully, fully understand why Silver doesn't want to do that. So I don't know what the changes will look like, but I don't think it'll stay this way forever. Yeah, and the, well, there, there's no, I, I you know, I would, I just want to kind of like double on what you said and echo it a little bit. Like, I feel like there's no perfect like fit to it. There's no perfect solution, and um, it's it's kind of a tough spot for Adam Silver. But, but I agree with you. I think going forward, we're gonna see we're gonna see something different. Hopefully, I mean, who yeah. knows? But go you ahead. Can't, you can't force it. You can't force a team to be competitive and. You know, right. I think what a lot of what a lot of fans don't understand, both with the draft and roster construction and just how the business works, is that, you know, the owners have these teams to make money. They don't have the teams to cater to Twitter fans. Like, that's not why somebody purchases an NBA team is to make money. And I don't necessarily think there's a problem with that. So if a team doesn't have a superstar and let's say they're in the they're in the luxury tax, you have to get out of it you have to secure a draft pick and the, the balance is finding how do we do that, but also keep butts in the seats from like a season ticket perspective. And that's where Adam silver, his job technically is he works for the owners. And that's, that's where it's like, yes, we want to make sure the fan experience is great and everybody's happy. But at the same time, he is hired and works for the owners to make sure that the decisions are made in that their best interest. So it's, I don't know how you affect the lottery to kind of find that median zone. And I'm glad I don't have to decide that because I'm not that creative. But like you said, it's not a perfect science, but I, I don't expect it to stay this way for, for a long time. Uh, as a Raptors fan, one of the things that kind of intrigues me the most in the draft is those guys who are kind of projected to go mid-20s because the Raptors for the past few years have been typically a good team. And Masai's done absolutely amazing with those picks, getting the guys like Pascal and OG Ananobi and even DeLon Wright. So when you look at the majority of people's mock drafts and you see a guy that's outside of the lottery, like maybe in those 20s, and you just look at it, you're like, he's either going to be an absolute steal there or he should be moved up in, into the lottery. Like, who are, who are some of the guys that you kind of look at in that range? I think the first one that came to mind is Kyra Lewis Jr. He is so fast. He's so quick on both ends of the floor. Fantastic passer. Um the question is going to be his shooting and he weighs 165 pounds. So that doesn't scare some people. It scares others. I think what makes me not worry about it a whole lot is that at 165 pounds, he was able to successfully penetrate the lane when he wanted to, where you have a guy like Halliburton whose weight might become an issue and he wasn't able to create and drive and get to the bucket by himself. So I think Lewis, because of his speed, I think is worth a back end lottery pick. And I'm seeing him in the 20 to 30 range for most um, but the concerns are there, and, and I do understand that. Let me look at some other guys who might fit that mold. So one that's really polarizing, I, I did a piece on him for Babcock Hoops, is Jaden McDaniels. He had a he had a rough when – you, when you projected an early top five pick, you would consider his season bad. 
And but you cannot ignore the physical tools he has and the scoring ability he has and even the activity on defense. He's so long, he's bouncy, six foot nine, like really long arms, knows how to clog passing lanes and defend the rim. I think he's a guy if if a team is really, really feeling frisky and they're willing to miss and in a couple of years admit that they made a wrong pick on a high risk, high reward kid, I think McDaniels could be in that discussion. I also think Pokusevsky is in that discussion. One of uh one of my favorite players to watch that kind of is projected in those ranges is Nico Mannion. Do you think he has a chance to be like an absolute steal, or do you think no? He's he's like a, he's a late first guy. He'll he'll maybe you know break out and, and be like a six man for a team. But where do you kind of see his ceiling and in, in floor? Yeah, so I see him as a six man and backup point guard. Um, obviously, the vision is fantastic. His ability to pass people open is fantastic. I worry about him being able to score on the NBA level. On defense, it's kind of a dichotomy. You know, some people say his defense is horrible, and it's really not the case because he has really, really fast feet. And in isolation, he can stay in front of people. The issue is his strength. And I think if you put him on an NBA floor, he gets absolutely bullied, at least early in his career. Now, that, you know, I, you never say somebody can't develop or improve, you know, get better. I think he's a late first, early second talent. Um, most. Uh, in part also to the fact that the Intel isn't great. So Intel matters so much to these teams because it's not just like, Hey, what basketball player are we getting? It's who are we bringing into our organization for three to five years? And we're going to pay millions of dollars. So there's, there's been some questionable Intel that we've received on Mannion that knocked him down a little bit to your point. If he's taken at 18, 19, 20, 21, I wouldn't like it, I wouldn't be surprised. I definitely see why teams like him, um, but the intel-wise, me personally, like we we wouldn't select him that high. So what you're saying is, if my Celtics take Kyle Lewis Jr. or McDaniel's, and the Raptors don't get it, I can brag to Zach. And if they take Nico Mannion, you know, we'll have to wait and see. That's that's what I'm hearing here. That is the approach I would take. I will say, Jaden McDaniel's is definitely a wait and see. <laughs> but if they get Kyra Lewis. Yeah, feel free to go ahead and talk trash all you want. Okay, so I'll I'll put that um, I'll set like an alarm on my phone for that just to remind <laughs> me to do it. Um, so one last question I have for you is um, and and we appreciate your time of course, but so yeah. I for some reason you know the Hawks are one of those teams that I just find myself following and they have a really talented young core in my opinion between Trey Young and Herder and and Hunter and I have a legitimate love affair with um, Cam Reddish so. You know, what what do you think that they should do, you know, with their pick because they have so much young talent? You know, what's best for them? Is it to maybe trade it away or if you see them keeping the pick, who are some options? Yeah, so I love this question because so I'm from Chattanooga, Tennessee, probably my whole life. So a lot of my friends are Hawks fans. So I'm I'm, I'm glad they get to hear me talk a little bit of Hawks because I get those texts regularly. I think so. The two that really stand out for me are Avdia and Okoro. Uh, two reasons. So Denny, I love with, let's say you went Hunter Reddish Obdia for the future. I mean, you've got three really big, really strong guys who can run point forward to an extent. And if Denny can learn to shoot at all, I mean, you run those three out there two at a time on a, any kind of rotation. Hell, you run all three of them together at some point. I mean, you, you could have your like a monstrous lineup on your hands. And so that's why I love that. Okoro makes sense because Trey needs some help on defense, not on offense. Again, he can facilitate as a passer. If Trey needs to take some time off, 
you can let Okoro drive and kick. Um, he can at least the ball doesn't stop with him, which I think will be important for Atlanta. Don't add a ball stopper. So I think Okoro could be good in that sense. And the one that really comes to mind as a depending on what route they want to go, I think Halliburton would be interesting. Mm. Halliburton does not need to be the number one option on the team he's drafted to. He needs to be a connecting piece. He has trouble creating for himself and getting into the lane because of his uh, the physical concerns. But you won't find a better you won't find many better passers in the class. Arguably the highest basketball IQ in the entire class, and active defensively as a team defender. Even though the weight can become an issue when he's one on one with an NBA player. So Halliburton as a connecting piece next to Young would be really, really fascinating. So Danny Okoro and Halliburton at six are the guys where I'm like, hey, if one of them are there, they make the most sense to me. Now, Halliburton kind of has like a like a funky-looking jump shot, though, right? He does, but the numbers, yeah, like when you look at the numbers, you're like, man, like he makes them. It goes in. Mm-hmm. It's one of those where, you know, if it's not broke, don't fix it. And that's what the approach I would take with Halliburton's jumper. But, again, a lot of those are catch and shoot, and it's not that he's got somebody isolated or pulling up out of a pick and roll. So that's where he, as a compliment to Young, could actually be really, really nice, where Young creates the space, draws the defense, uses the gravity to pull people off of Halliburton even a little bit, and now you've got a 40% spot of three-point shooter. So that's that's where I see that fit there. I just have gotcha. uh, a couple more questions, and then we'll let yeah. you go. And they might actually correlate. Uh, so you mentioned how you have like a clear top seven in this draft and, and you're pretty cemented in those top seven. Uh, which of those players do you have like the most hesitancy on? Cause you know, obviously those players are the most talented of the group and you're the most secure in them. But if there's one player that you have, you know, a hesitancy on that you're kind of like, uh, I don't like, I don't know, uh, who is that? And then why? Lamello ball. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's Lamello, um, on the court shooting. We don't know if it's going to be there. I, I ultimately think he'll be a league average shooter. I think he's going to be just fine. Um, it's The shooting is not anything that would make me not draft him. He's so strong and so good at every other thing on the floor that like you still take him, and he's still easily probably a top two kid in this class. What I worry about is, like with any of the Ball brothers, what are you going to have to deal with off the court? And there hasn't been many issues um, down with the Illawarra Hawks, to his credit. like There's, there's nothing that screamed, stay away. But the intel, again, as we gather it more and more, it's not great. It, it doesn't suck, but it's not great. And, you know, is, is he going to throw a fit if he doesn't like where he's picked? Is his dad going to throw a fit? You know, you're starting to hear this stuff with Lonzo in New Orleans. And the more that bubbles up, the more LaMelo stock gets hit, even if, even if that's unfair. So that's one of the reasons that I would – I'm hesitant. At this point, if I have pick one or two, you know, it's not making me not pick him but it's forcing me and my organization to have some honest conversations of what are we willing to deal with and what risk are we willing to take before we sign up for, you know, an eight, seven, you know, an eight, eight, eight million dollar contract um, to just hand out to the kid. Right. And, and LaMelo actually was who my second question was going to be on, because if you really look down, you know, those top seven teams, the one place where the majority of them are pretty solid and cemented is the point guard position. Like you got D'Lo in Minnesota, obviously Steph, uh, Devonte Graham in Charlotte, and then obviously we talked about Chicago, and then Cleveland as their guys, uh, and then even if you go Atlanta, Trey Young. So, what kind of team do you think within that top seven or whatever uh, do you think Lamelo fits best with, and would be the place where he goes and has the most success right away? I would actually really like to see him in Detroit. I think get get the point guard of the future. You know, get, 
make sure that your player development staff is ready to work with him. And then at a certain point, just hand him the keys. That's kind of what I think there. Like you said, there are some teams ahead of him who don't necessarily need a guard. Charlotte would be interesting depending on how, like what they believe as far as what Graham can be for the future. And LaMelo and Graham, because Graham shot so well, I mean, what he hit, he hit so many more threes than he did, you know, a season ago. Graham and Ball could be an actually really interesting combination. Um, and then I think they could admit that they overpaid for Rozier, so I don't think that's a long-term play. So Charlotte or Detroit are the two where I'm like, you know what, I kind of like to see him fall there. Do you know what I'm not looking forward to? Um, you know, I feel like for our generation, when we say mellow, we're going to think of Carmelo Anthony, and there's going to be a whole new generation of people that are going to think of um, LaMelo Ball, and I feel like it's just going to make me feel really old. Like, I'm not looking forward yeah. to this. <laughs> I hope uh, I, I hope everybody puts the the L in the front of his name and just calls him LaMelo. That way we have some kind of uh, differentiation there. We're going to need it. Yeah. Well, uh, hey, Derek, thanks so much for coming on. The draft is always, you know, one of the most exciting times of the year, and obviously we're we're still not – really that close to the draft we have playoffs but with the lottery it uh gives us a lot of a lot of chance to be excited and thanks so much for coming on and sharing your expertise and you know we'll have to do this again sometime come uh right near the draft yeah appreciate it appreciate you guys thinking of me um and having me on shameless plug follow babcock hoops on twitter uh follow the the, the team account and matt as well always staying on top of stuff there so yeah whenever we get closer to the draft you know hit me up anytime and i'm happy to come back and do it again Sure. And we appreciate it. And congrats on your uh, your promotion at Bath Coffee. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yes, you piece of souls do sedate ourselves. Just in the bars, pain we feel. Yes, sometimes we do hate ourselves, but each day we try to retake ourselves. So, yes, you piece of souls do sedate ourselves. Just in the bars, pain we feel. Yes, sometimes we do hate ourselves, but each day we try to embrace ourselves. Yeah. And what worries do to find us? And what-